We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Hey, everyone. Just a heads up. We will be teasing that we'll be breaking down Kayvon Thibodeau on this podcast, but we will not be. It will be coming out shortly after this. Check your podcast feeds. We figured we wanted to dedicate some more time to the man, the myth, the legend. The guy I'm proclaiming as my favorite player in this class, I think, right now. I don't know if I'm going to change on that. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But just a little heads up. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today, we're here to break down the NFL draft profile for a big-time favor of mine. The number one player on my Giants wish list, I think he is the player that I would take number one overall, almost definitely, no matter how my team construction is. And that's Kayvon Thibodeau. And I'll explain a little bit as to why he would be my number one pick. And it's not because I think he's the best player right now, if we start tomorrow. But I think he's going to be the best player in this class. And we're going to do that draft profile. We're going to clean up a little bit of the Giants news. Some Again, just minor stuff in my mind, at least. Matt Breida signed. Jihad Ward signed. These are The offseason's been a bunch of minor signings. No real starters to come out of this offseason, which is what we expected. They put themselves in salary cap hell, and they're trying to build this thing differently. They're not going to try to build this thing with free agency. And guess what? They already kind of did that last year anyway. I mean, two key contracts on this roster right now are players who they signed last offseason in Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson. They've built this team through free agency as well as the draft. James Bradbury through free agency. Blake Martinez through free agency. This is a free agent built team. They haven't found anything but Andrew Thomas, really, as far as long term goes, for sure, at least. And Xavier McKinney and hopefully Aziz Ojolari and and. And then again, hopefully a few others. But I mean, we got to pray some of these guys hit the Ellerson Smiths of the world through the draft. So this is changing now. They're not going to be, we're not going to see free agencies where the Giants are signing big name guys. And that's okay. I'm fine with it. But we do want to talk a little bit about those players. And then one final thing to clean up tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, that is, we will be doing an interview with Mark Schofield. I think it's his fourth or fifth time on the show. 
Schofield has watched more quarterback tape than Nick. He's watched more quarterback tape than me. I think he's watched more quarterback tape than anyone that I know. I mean, some people claim to watch a lot of tape. I know he does it. I've seen his process and I've seen his breakdowns. And so we're going to talk Daniel Jones. We're going to talk a little Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod. And we're going to talk a little bit about this quarterback class. Because this what? The Giants are not approaching this the way you think they are, right? They're sending guys to Kenny Pickett's pro day. They're sending quarterback coach to our quarterback coach to Kenny Pickett's pro day. Quarterback coach to Malik Willis's pro day. Everyone's ruled out the idea the Giants could take Willis or Pickett. Why? I don't know. All I've heard from them is, one, they really are going to take their de- their time to evaluate this quarterback class. Two, they believe in quarterback to the point where they believe in investing QB2. Three, Daniel Jones, our quarterback, dot, 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 for now. All those three things combined, Nick, and I think they're really interested in this quarterback class. I don't think that means they're definitely going to take one at five or seven, but I don't think we should be ruling that out right now at all. No, we shouldn't be ruling that out. It could be a ruse. Yes, it could be a way to drive up value. And I would also argue that you would be neglecting your duty to not send your quarterback coach to Pitt's Pro Day and Liberty's Pro Day when you possess the fifth and seventh overall pick. But if they were to select one of those players, would I be shocked? Maybe slightly, but I understand it. Just everything you said, if they believe in one of those guys, if they truly believe in them, then they ha- they should go and invest in them. Even though I would I would argue, I guess you could say, that the Giants may not be in the position to do that right now with the current state of their roster. But if it's their guy, it's their guy. And we've been consistent on this podcast. You get your guy when you have that kind of inclination and feeling. Yeah, I personally, taking aside the evaluations, I'm never a believer. I know me and you, I guess, do differ a bit on this, Nick. I'm not a believer in there's a right or wrong time to get your quarterback. I don't think you need the line. I don't think you need the receivers. I don't think you need the defense. I don't think you need the wins, blah, blah, blah. If there's a quarterback prospect that you believe can be the next franchise quarterback, Super Bowl winner, you take him no matter when you have that opportunity because those I, opportunities I, don't come. I agree with that, dude. I, yeah. I agree with that. I would just say, like, my understanding of those players relative yes. to what, yes. you know, that's what I, that's more so what For I sure. mean. You mean if, more if the they, prospects. Yeah, yeah. If th- there was a guy right now who was, you know, Justin Herbert, oh, I'd be all about that, dude. I don't give a crap how bad this team is. And I don't think, and I think you're right, and I don't think – uh, Willis is that or pick it from a pure raw upside standpoint. Now, Willis does have some things that Herbert can't do, in my opinion, just from watching him. And yes, his 2020 Liberty tape is a lot better than his 2021 Liberty tape. But the supporting class at Liberty was a lot better in 2020 than it was 2021. People don't talk about that. But there still are flashes of what he put on tape in 2020. In 2021, I'm starting to watch a little bit of Willis and I start to see exactly the things that got me excited about him in 2020. I mean, I 15 months ago, I said he's going to be the quarterback one in this class. And it looks like he's going to be that because that's what that's what you want. You want guys who can make plays on the run with both their arm and their legs and who show just unbelievable arm talent. And that's the this is what he has. He, no one else had in this class. In my mind, the ball doesn't jump out of the hand like anyone in this class like it does. Willis, he does, no one has his kind of playmaking ability as a runner, in my opinion, in the open field. And no one has his kind of playmaking ability as a thrower while escaping from broken plays. He has everything that you want, but he also has a lot of film that scares me and a lot of things that scare me, Nick. Number one being pocket presence, how he feels the rush, how he reads the rush, how he reads the defense post-snap. Number two, there are some some ball placement issues for sure. But to be fair, these are the same issues that I had with Josh Allen when he came out. And to some extent, besides taking away the ball placement stuff, because that wasn't as prevalent on his film, but Herbert had some of those other issues as well, um, as far as you know, his final season at Oregon went. 
And a lot of that goes to scheme too, right? Like I think there's a really good argument as to why draft Twitter and people were so low on Justin Herbert was because he was playing an Oregon scheme, which is very horizontal, a lot of bubble screens, a lot of easy kind of looks. And they didn't really unleash his athletic ability until those last final games at Oregon, where it was the PAC 12 championship and and games like that. You didn't see how good of an athlete he was consistently. And you can kind of, I mean, you could definitely see the athletic ability for Malik Willis, but when you look at Hugh Freeze's offense, it's how translatable is that? It's the same argument with Matt Corral at Ole Miss. How translatable is that offense to the NFL where there are a lot more defined reads and it's not as, progression laden of an offense and I think those are fair criticisms but you got to look at the traits and you got to look at the kid and in terms of Malik Willis and we'll talk about this more extensively with Mark it seems like everybody was raving about him as a person not just because he was you know helping out a homeless person on the street in Indianapolis which is excellent to see no doubt but how he conducts himself in the interviews how smart he hit how smart he is in the interviews, how he can recollect what the coaches were telling him reportedly I'm not in the interview room but all those things are incredibly important as well. Yeah, very important. And, you know, that's one of the most important things they do. They do when they when they bring these quarterbacks in for these interviews at the combine or the private visits, they put them up on the board and they give them concepts that they're planning on using, whoever that team may be. And they see how fast they can acclimate and pick them up, because, you know, if you can't pick them up even on the board, you're never going to be able to pick them up live in game with the reps, with all the defenses uh, doing with all with all what the defenses do now to disguise things pre and post snap. And I think that if Malik Willis is drafted by the Giants, or really if he's drafted by anyone, the best option would be to do what the Chargers did with Herbert and throw out the nonsense that he was, not nonsense, but the, in my opinion, not maximizable offensive system that he was playing in, not maximizable to his skill set at the collegiate level, and create their own offense, just like the Ravens did for Lamar Jackson, a very specific scheme and system for Jackson, just like the Chargers did. The Chargers said the Chargers could have been like, look, Herbert does well with this horizontal concept, right? Herbert has done this thing a hundred to hundred reps of it and 80 of them have gone well at Oregon. Let's build on that. They didn't, they didn't look at that. They said, Herbert has these traits <laughs> armed with absolute rip, rip, rip. He can rip the ball through tight windows and he can throw the ball vertically. Let's design a vertically oriented system for him. And that's exactly what the chargers did. And that's why they've been able to maximize him. If they tried to put him in a similar system to that Oregon system in year one, and have kind of tried to build off of that in the prior, in the you know coming years, I don't think he'd be the same player right now that he's viewed at. And I think the same will be true. The same was true of Jackson, Lamar. And I think the same will be true of Willis. And we'll see. And honestly, to be honest with you, Nick, I think the Giants could figure that out. I think Dable is the type of coach who could figure out a completely brand new system tailored to Willis's skill set that gets him to show out early on in the NFL and kind of hide some of the deficiencies, at least from the processing standpoint. There are, again, still issues I have with him from a ball placement standpoint and mechanic standpoint. Yeah, and I think all that will be addressed once we talk to Mark, who's watched just an insane amount of Malik Willis film, an insane amount of Kenny Pickett film, which we'll also talk about with him because I think the Giants are doing their due diligence on him. I haven't, I've watched them on Saturday, but I haven't grinded their films. All a lot of what I'm saying is based on those perceptions of not actually sitting down and watching the film like I typically do with a lot of the guys that we go over. Yeah, and just to be transparent as well, I've seen about. I saw like six games of Willis from 2020. I've seen only one of his 2021 games. And at least I'm talking about just like on the film. And I watched one game of Pickett on film. That was it, the Clemson game, which was an interesting game to watch, obviously. Actually, no, I saw two. I saw him, uh, one of those SEC teams early. I think it was Tennessee. He had a really good game against Tennessee. So I wanted to kind of watch the film on that. So seen a little bit, but again, the Giants have sent O'Shea to both of those, those pro days to, to watch these quarterbacks. And, 
you may think they're bluffing. And again, not we're not me and Nick are not saying they're going to draft one of these guys, but I am saying I will not be surprised at all if the Giants draft one of these players at five or seven. If they, you know, if they believe in these quarterbacks, given what they've seen from Jones on film, there's no reason to not draft over him. To be completely honest, I'm sorry to admit it right now. I know a lot of people are going to hate to hear that, but it's the truth. Any NFL team coming in with a new coach and a new GM is not coming in with the Dave Gettleman. We fell in love with this kid at the Senior Bowl act. They're coming in with the, we've seen the bad tape. We need to consider that he may not be the future here. And regardless of how well he talks to the media, how hard he works, he comes in early, Mara loves him. None of that stuff means anything. If you're not winning games, you're not throwing touchdown passes, you're not moving the football through the air. And so we'll see what happens there on the quarterback front. But again, I won't be surprised. Before we dive into Thibodeau, Nick, let's talk a little bit about some of these signings. Again, back-end stuff. I'll start with Matt Breida, a player who I really liked during his time with San Francisco, then kind of fell out a little bit and then rediscovered himself a bit with the Bills last year. There was even a time last year where it was pretty obvious on film he was the most effective running back on the Bills, the point where they made Zach Moss in game day inactive. At the end, they kind of went away from him and back to Devin Singletary and gave him more of a lead role because Singletary stepped up in the past game. I think from what I've seen, I watched I watched uh, a few of his games with the Bills last year just to see if he still has that same burst, that same speed. He does still have that, I think, Breida. I think, obviously, the injuries have been a big concern for him in his career. And the fact that he probably had his be- did his best work in Shanahan's outside zone scheme, uh, which the Giants won't have the benefit of. But I still feel like the Giants are getting a nice little speed option to their backfield with pass game chops and just a nice little addition to the run game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, it's a change of pace type of guy. Somebody who does, I would say, have home run ability. He's still 27 years old, has good burst. There's some tape of him where he really sets his his blocks up well. He presses the line of scrimmage, gets that linebacker or that safety to kind of bite forward. And then that cat and mouse game we always talk about. And then he, you know, jukes off the inside foot and around the tackle and picks up extra yardage. So you see some processing there, but he's not all that big. He's not necessarily an inside the tackle type of runner. And he has struggled with ball security, which is something that really concerns me. I believe he's had eight fumbles according to pro football focus. And in all honesty, Dan should be nine because you want to know the reason why he was kind of benched for Zach Moss and Devin Singletary down the stretch of last year. It was week 13 against new England. I believe it was Monday night or Sunday night football. I think it was Monday night and Matt Breida fumbled the ball, but they credited it to Josh Allen and everyone was so pissed in the fantasy football community, including myself. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Of course. (laughs) Well, he didn't really play all that much after that. He saw three snaps as a rusher against Tampa Bay, three against Carolina, and then didn't really see the field all that much against the Jets specifically when in terms of running the football, but he was still a receiving threat. And I think that's probably the most interesting part of this addition other than the Giants are just adding cheap guys that they're familiar with to to kind of fill their roster out so they're not really pigeonholed when the draft comes, which I think is another important part of a lot of these additions, the Glowinskis, the Feliciano, and the Brita even. But it's, it's his receiving ability. Because if Saquon Barkley is traded, which could realistically happen, I think Brita is, is a good third down back that you could put in. He's, he's not a great pass protector, but he can you know throw his 5'10", 190-pound frame in the way of players. But he's pretty dynamic out of the backfield in the screen game and then while in the flat. He can really kind of make those angles really, really difficult for defenders because he has that acceleration burst and speed. And I think that is something that Dable used pretty well last season with Buffalo. And I think he could do that as well here in New York. That's a great call, Nick, because if you think of some of the things that Dable did well schematically, a lot of it was utilizing some of his skill players' speed. Brita, whether that be uh, McKenzie, Diggs even has his own version of speed and so does Emmanuel Sanders. In some ways, you know, even players like Davis have some speed in, in different ways. And same with Cole Beasley as quickness. And so I think that's a that's a part of what he wants to do. And he's going to have a lot more players now at his disposal than he might have had just before the Breida signing. Not a lot more, but an extra one, right? He's, not, he's got Breida, potentially Barkley, if Barkley can regain that top speed. Kadarius Tony, the Giants have some options from a speed standpoint. I mean, even to an extent, Shepard has that quickness um, as well. And Darius Slayton as well, you know, isn't the same player I think he was at Auburn from a speed standpoint, just from what I've seen on the film, but he's close and he could regain that if he has his first like fully healthy year really since that rookie year. So I think you're onto something there that you got to add speed. This is, that's a big part of this game in my mind on the offense side of the ball, having speed. Think of how the giants offense looked last year when they did get John Ross going a little bit, 30 snaps, 25 snaps here, that saints game, you know, the little run of John Ross until he, I believe it was a Panthers game as well. The little run of Ross until he got hurt, re-injured himself, kind of fell out of the lineup, whatever it may be. But just adding that element of speed changes the entire way defenses have the game plan against you, have to s- uh, scheme against you, change the way they can play the safeties against you, change the way they can play you horizontally as well. So I'm with you. I think it's just good to add a different level of speed to the offense. And so nothing crazy to talk about with that signing, but definitely a good depth one. Another depth one after obviously losing a few D linemen over the years. This year they lost Austin Johnson. Last year they lost B.J. Hill. They signed Jihad Ward, former second-round pick. At a two, uh, two, in 2016, out of Illinois, former Big Ten player, went to Globe Tech, so he's a New York guy. I think that probably played a role in him signing here with the Giants. I think also wanting to reunite with Wink Martindale. He's talked about how Wink Martindale has brought the best out of him. 
still not over. Like, you know, people have, wa- you know, washed away with these 2016 early round picks, right? They can't make an impact. Well, that's what happened with Austin Johnson before he signed with the Giants last year. And he played so well that he earned a pretty solid contract. The same thing happened with Mario Edwards a couple years ago. The Giants have now have this history of kind of signing these IDLs who were former day, day two picks, second round picks that kind of washed away or didn't make it for depth reasons, for injuries, whatever it may be, scheme, and trying to kind of, re, you know, provide a reclamation project for them. And I think Jahad Ward could be that on the Giants. As I always say, Nick, it's just crazy, the depth of IDL across the NFL. You know, you lose an Austin Johnson, you find a Jahad Ward. You lose a Mario Edwards, you find an Austin Johnson. So, obviously, these are just this is just simply not a position I would be doing what the past GM did in Gettleman, investing that insane amount of, you know, resources toward it. But I am happy they can get a guy like Ward off the scrap heap for, for pretty cheap, close to the veteran minimum. And I think he'll be able to have impactful snaps like Austin Johnson did last year. Ward is a totally different player than Austin Johnson. Ward plays a lot on the edge. He's a six foot five, 290 pound player who will be 28 years old. So he's still relatively young. And I watch a lot of his Jacksonville tape. I watch his Baltimore tape and I put up uh, a long film review on big blue view. If anybody wants to go and check it out, it dropped Tuesday, March 22nd. But what I saw from Ward is somebody who can play boundary edge. You align him towards a boundary. He's, I would say a solid athlete for someone of his size, good foot speed, fires off the ball low, plays with good leverage, has some pop in his hands, really uses his extension well off the snap. I wouldn't say he's a dynamic athlete, but like I said, I think he can be an edge towards the boundary, which means you're on the, on the hash that's closer to the boundary. So there's not as much you have to cover if there is a boundary side run. So you don't necessarily have to have the speed to cover the field, which is more prevalent in college because the hashes are a little wider, but still it's something in the NFL. I saw him aligned to the field as well. He'll drop into coverage a little bit, but that's not necessarily his game. Yeah, We shouldn't expect too much of that. On passing downs, he was kicked inside a lot to play four-eye, to play two-eye, to play three technique, and to use, I would say, solid quickness off the snap to penetrate. I feel like he does a really good job kind of getting to the half man right off the snap when he times the snap well, and then using a rip move with low leverage to raise the center of gravity and then kind of separate from the blocker, whether that is a tackle or whether that is a guard. I watched all of his pressures and his sacks. I put that up on Twitter. A lot of them are designed. A lot of them are built off twists. A lot of them are unblocked. There are a couple that were built off of just pure power moves that he employed. He's more power. He's more of a power rusher than a finesse rusher, which is fine. But I think he's just going to be a depth rotational piece here for the Giants who can kind of spell Leonard Williams uh, here and there can line up on the edge if they're facing a running team that wants to really kind of, you know, take advantage of an Aziz Ojolari. But I feel like the Giants are probably going to have another edge that can probably do this, but say they don't. He's somebody who can hold the point of attack well and not get bullied off of the edge because he's a solid run defender. I think it's a good depth signing, not somebody that the Giants are probably going to have to rely on all too often. Yeah. Similar in that sense, obviously completely different players. I agree with you on that, but just similar to what we might get from a snap standpoint from somebody like Austin yeah. Johnson last year. And we'll see, because like you said, he could line up on the edge, especially against run heavy team. So he brings a little bit more versatility. He brings experience within Wink Martindale's system. Fine, solid signing there. At the same time, they did lose Lorenzo Carter. From all the reports I've seen, the Giants made an offer for Carter. They wanted to bring him back, but their offer didn't exceed the Falcons' $3.5 million one-year deal, which is a decent amount for a player like Carter. To an extent, like I still feel like he's young. He showed a little. I know the injuries have been there. I know the lack of production has been there. 
but no one really showed much interest on him in the open market to the point where the Falcons claimed him for one year, 3.5 million. Now in the process, this was a very disappointing decision. If you're a Falcons fan, because by doing so, they actually, by signing him to a one year, $3.5 million deal. And I read this today, they negated their fourth round compensatory draft pick for the next draft by signing Carter. If they don't sign Carter, they keep the pick by signing Carter. They lost that comp pick. So you just got to be devastated. If you're a fan of a team that, you know, isn't as, as, as hopeless as a spot as the giants and Falcons from a 2022 standpoint, if you're not winning next year and the Falcons are certainly not in contention to win a super bowl next year, especially after trading Matt Ryan, but they weren't to begin with. It's just devastating to give up a fourth round draft pick for to for the rights to sign a one year contract for Lorenzo Carter for a year that's not going to matter. Like these are the type of moves that the Giants used to make a lot in the Gettleman era. And everybody, you know, everybody whenever you poo pooed them or anyone poo pooed them, everyone's like, you're being too critical. You're being too negative. You, but no, 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 no. You're looking at it the right way. You can't always play win now ball. You have to look at this as how it's going to impact the future. And if you're a team in the Falcon spot, and I'm just saying, I know it's a little bit of a sidetrack, sidetracked rent here, but look, I just hope the Giants, and they haven't made any of these moves yet, Nick, so I'm happy about that. But I hope the Giants aren't going to be making any of those moves in the future because I'd be really disappointed right now if I was a Giants fan and to get some guy on a one-year deal for a basically wasted season, you're giving up a fourth-round comp pick. Yeah, you're 100% right in terms of the, the compensatory formula. But in terms of the player, Lorenzo Carter, like I really wanted the Giants to, to be able to bring him back, yeah. to be honest. like He was probably my number one free agent I wanted back for the New York Giants because I do think he has this unique skill set that Wink Martindale would maximize because he can cover. We've seen it. Right. He can play linebacker. We've seen it. He can play edge. We've seen it. And I think if he never tore his Achilles, we would be talking about him in a much higher regard. Because I think Patrick Graham was another defensive coordinator who could get a lot out of him, but he never really he never really had the opportunity because of that Achilles tear. He had the five games, getting used to a new system in 2020, tore his Achilles, started slow this year, and then finished really, really strong. I'm wishing him the best. He's still 26 years old, dude. Right. Still, you know, young as heck. Two six five, two fifty. That is a perfect Sam type of linebacker that Wink Martindale would have loved to have. But you know what? Best of luck in Atlanta. And, and I do agree with the compensatory. Like that's a one year signing, and you just negated a fourth round pick for a team that I don't even think has a wide receiver right now. Like, <laughs> who do they have? Frank Darby and Z Zacchaeus, Olamade Zacchaeus. Like, who else do they have at the wide receiver position? And yeah, Marcus Mariota is the quarterback. Decent line at best. I mean, I like the low buy low on Carter. Me and you were both higher on Carter than I think most Giants fans were at the end. Most Giants fans were like, nah, we're done with this guy. But if you're going to try to buy low, don't sign to a one year deal. Like, try to get some value if he does actually reach his potential. Otherwise, they're going to have to either tag him or pay him a ton next offseason. So, just totally not nonsensical move by the Falcons. But obviously, they're, you know, still a loss for the Giants for sure. And we'll see if that means they're going to invest in edge. And you know what? This could be an opportunity, by the way, for Ellerson Smith, a player who me and you are pretty excited about, like moving forward as a prospect on this team. It's easy to get excited about a prospect, they don't always pan out. But I like what I've seen from Ellerson Smith on the college tape. I like the traits. I'm a big traits guy. And I believe you can coach traits. You can project traits. And so this could just be more opportunity for him, which is not necessarily a bad thing. That could ultimately end up being a good thing. It could. It could. Now, those are two different players as well. And I know you're aware of that, too. Uh, I would like to see if Ellerson Smith could move in space like Lorenzo Carter yeah. could. 
That's my one question. I think Ellerson Smith's more of a pin your ears back, go get him. I feel like Lorenzo Carter was much better against the run, but Lorenzo Carter's also a little bit older than Ellerson Smith. So I'm hoping Ellerson Smith takes that step forward, and I think we should also be fair. He missed a ton of time as a rookie. Same with Aaron Robinson. So both of those players, as we mentioned a couple podcasts ago, could be primed for a breakout year at some point this year. And by breakout, let's temper the expectations. It's not going to be like an all, all-star type of thing, but still just better play. For sure. And I think you're right about Larson Smith. He's an interesting prospect for the Giants because I do feel like, one, he was drafted by the old regime. I'm not sure exactly how Wink Martindale views him within his system. And two, he would kind of, to my mind, fit better in like, you know, one of those classic even fronts where he's like a 4-3 defensive end just blitzing off the edge. But I feel like there's a good possibility Wink Martindale knows that and can figure out a way to, you know, best utilize him as a pass rusher. I'm definitely less concerned about that, but I am a little bit more concerned about what you said, which is kind of just his ability as a run blocker. I think he needs to fill out his body. He needs to grow into his body. He needs to show a little bit more physicality, you know, setting the edge and at the point of attack to to be anything more than a situational rusher, which I guess we could say Carter was more than that because um, he obviously did a good job setting the edge in the run game. So, you, you know, it's a good point. Maybe his role or his path to playing time was kind of independent of Carter, but maybe this could also be you know, an opportunity for him to, you know, understand like, look, I have a big chance here to grow into a bigger role. If I can, you know, round out my game and become more of a force against the run. Yeah. And that's the hope that that's the hope. And I think it's weird too, man, because we, we have that slight concern about Ellerson Smith and it's only slight, like we said, you know, he was hurt all last year. He can grow all those things, but it, doesn't it kind of remind you of the Ocean Zimenez conversation just from, you know, two years before this? Yeah, it is exactly like the ocean is evidence. <laughs> I think they're different prospects. And I know you do too, like completely different prospects, but it is very similar. And Ocean's still on the roster too, which is like another funny th- part about this. So it could be interesting, like saying that Wink Martindale doesn't view Ellerson Smith or Ocean Zimenez as players that he could fully use, but he'll keep one of them on the roster more than likely Ellerson Smith, just because he's young and he is very athletic and you use him situationally. That kind of leads you to the conclusion that Wink Martindale is going to really want to add his edge and defensive right. line guys in this draft if the Giants find value, say, on day two and day three or possibly on day one. Yeah, it definitely makes me wonder also, like, look, they're doing this in conjunction with their draft prep, right? It's not like they made the decision to not offer Lorenzo Carter more money and create more cap space to re-sign a player like Carter independent of their draft evaluation. It's all together. It's all one working thing. So it leads me to potentially at least speculate, Nick, that they see this draft board and they're like, whether that be with five, seven, or or our day two pick, our early day two pick, we're going to have a really good opportunity to draft one of these edges. Like they may be like, look, even if this guy goes, this guy goes, this guy goes, there's still this guy. And we actually like his value at seven, whether that be, you know, Walker from, from Georgia or whoever it may be, or the kid from, uh, the uh, Florida State who I'm blanking on his name. Yeah, J- Jermaine Johnson is a name that I feel like Giant fans Johnson, ne- need to to be paying attention to a little bit more, if I'm going to be honest. And myself included. I haven't watched tape on him, and I want to. I, I've seen some of Walker. I have not seen much of him. And look, that's kind of what happened with me at the end of that 2019 draft class, where at the very end, I kind of started watching tape. I, I, I was watching a little. I saw some clips, and I'm like, you know what? Let me take some time to watch Brian Burns. And I absolutely fell in love with Brian Burns, the prospect. Moved him all the way up to number six on my big board. So it's like, that could be Johnson, too. I don't know. I haven't really seen much. Have you watched any of him? 
Yeah, I did a breakdown on Big Blue View if anybody wants to check it out. It's on the YouTube page. It's probably about like 25, 30 minutes long. To me, he's somebody – so this is like we'll, – we'll probably do a draft profile on him, but just a quick overview. He went the JUCO route because he didn't have great grades coming out of high school, and then he went to Georgia for two years before transferring to Florida State in 2021, and he really broke out in Florida State's defense. He's very, very physical against the run. He's a good pass rusher with very, very violent hands. He could probably refine the timing, the placement of his hands, but you could just tell there's a lot of violence in there. Has a really good inside jab move and then shoot outside, try to use his hands to swat the outside arm of the offensive tackle down win the edge, dip, bend, and then sack the quarterback, crash the pocket, do whatever he has to do. I think he's interesting. I love the physical nature of him. Great pursuit in space. Good athlete. I I think he's somebody that I'm not advocating the Giants to pick him at seven. I just think that he should be in the conversation, and I haven't seen much of that. You're starting to see more of it from a national standpoint, but national people just tend to be like the Giants need an edge. Let me plug this guy in because nobody's doing it now. Whereas, you know, giant specific guys are a little bit more nuanced with their evaluations of uh, players that fit into what the Giants are going to actually do. Yeah. And everybody said the Giants couldn't take Brian Burns that early at six overall. You know, the, the talk at the time was at, at that point, no one really expected them to go Daniel Jones at six, more like 17. They ended up, you know, falling in full bloom love, quote unquote, and taking him at six. But the thought was, if Josh Allen isn't there, and everybody was like, he's not going to be there. I didn't think there was any chance Josh Allen was falling to six. Are there any edges? And everybody would say, you know, getting a guy like Brian Burns that earlier, Montez Sweat, is a reach. Neither ultimately ended up being reaches. Both of those two players ended up being smash hits for Carolina and Washington, respectively, especially Burns. I think Burns is an even better player than Sweat, as far as I'm concerned. And when he's healthy, I think Burns is one of the premier edges in the league. He's just had battling injuries a lot of his career. Um, both of those, both of those guys are very different. And the one thing with right. sweat is totally he had a heart, con- heart condition at the combine that made him drop it. That's important to, yeah, to know for sure. But point being I'm sorry, I did a long loop there to get to the point, but the point being, it doesn't really matter what these mocks say. And when you, when you're so quote unquote allowed to draft a player, no, the giants may draft Johnson at seven. They may draft Walker at seven. They may view these edges as top players in this draft players worthy of that pick. And I'm not going to haunt them. I'm not going to knock them for that because until I watch the film, I can't say that these guys aren't at that level. It's you know, We're going to talk about Thibodeau. We, it's going to be tough for anyone for me to see anyone in this class with the kind of ceiling that Thibodeau has. And I just think ultimately his skill set and his traits are immediate translators at the NFL level and stuff that you just just work against all tackles like it's not you don't have to worry about oh was he just somebody who was winning against lower competition and you know somebody who's winning with with kind of more nuanced moves that these tackles weren't ready for I don't I think his traits are just immediate translators but they may view that with Johnson they may view that with Walker and these guys could be in play at seven overall even five overall we don't know and so definitely could be interesting to me that they that you know they they haven't signed any edges yet Exception of Ward, who we both is more believe is more of a hybrid player, obviously a bigger player as well. And they did decide to let Lorenzo Carter go, a player who we both believe, you know, was probably their best prospect that hit free agency. And Walker, man, I, I'm so glad you brought his name up because doesn't does he not just fit the Joe Shane or Brandon Bean? Maybe I should phrase it prototype of what they want on a defensive line 275 pounds incredibly long arms insane athlete dude like he he fits it to a t and i've watched his film and i think we could have a fascinating conversation on trayvon walker and hope to do a draft profile once you get some eyes on him because 
you see those traits, but it's not like he's just dominating snap in and snap out. And he was used in a kind of a unique way at Georgia. So there is a bit of projection with a Trayvon Walker, but man, dude, like you look at just some of the, his movement skills and, and just how powerful he is in all throughout his body. It's, it's something that I think they're definitely going to be interested in, but I, I don't know if they would necessarily pull the trigger. Nobody does. And it's interesting too, Nick, because especially with players like that, didn't exactly dominate despite having so many talented players around them, whether that be, you know, based on the system, based on just having so much talent around you and just the ability to kind of be able to spell, like, you know, you can spell a player on a Georgia defense. If you're a coach more than you can a player on a UCLA defense or on an Oregon defense or what, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, because you have the multiple (laughs) beast athletes on, on your bench, you can put in, but the thought process for us has always been throughout me and you, I think we've stayed pretty tried and true on this is we're very open and interested in trading back from number seven overall, potentially in my mind, at least number five overall, it's the same concept for me. Yes. We may miss on somebody big there, but that may be the, the only way to get a trade done. Like a team wants to trade ahead of the Panthers at six, because we could likely take a quarterback. They may only way to do it is if the giants give up five, it's really a prime spot for that type of idea. So, why we're open to that is a, there's a lot of reasons why me and Nick are open to this trade back idea. One of them, you know, long-term speaking is to get a better chance at a quarterback next class, but in general, it's just good to pick up on value. I mean, even last year, which was like a worst case scenario, right? Like Slater and Parsons, two guys mm-hmm. who me and Nick loved, absolutely loved. They were two guys we wanted if they were going to stay at that pick, both ended up being like almost immediate all pros, basically essentially almost immediate all pros in the rookie season. That's the worst case scenario. And even in that scenario, the Giants still get Darius Tony and whatever they can make of the seventh overall pick in this draft. So that's a worst case scenario. Like there, there was a good chance that both Slater and Parsons were just average or pretty good in the rookie year or, you know, showing potential, but not having, you know, performed that level. But the, even in the worst case scenario, the Giants still have so much to gain from that trade because if they hit at seven, it's still a good trade for them. If they can find an all pro at seven, it's still a good trade for them. Even if they can find like an Andrew Thomas or somebody who plays at the level of Andrew Thomas has shown so far and Kadarius Tony then starts to stay healthy, become the key cog in the offense. I still think it's a good trade for the giants. So that's, you know, just part of the reason why we're interested at seven. But one thing I'd ask you, Nick is if we're going to trade back, there should be targets. Like let's say the giants trade back from seven, not five. Right. And at five, they take Neil or, 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 or Iguanu. Like if one of them falls. And I think at this point, based on my projections of the draft, and I'm curious to get your take on this at some point, Nick, I think one of those two tackles will be there because I think the Jags have locked themselves into Hutchinson and I just don't see Salah passing on Thibodeau to be completely honest at four overall. Um, and so maybe that means the two tackles go two and three, but I just don't, I, I don't know if I see that happen either. I, I, I it, it's a, you know, there's a lot to, to consider here right now, but say they do trade back from seven. One thing the giants have to consider is, if they're targeting Walker or Johnson, like they need to consider what range they can trade back to to still get one of those edges, right? Or to still get if they love Gardner and Sting. Let's say they have two corners. Let's say they have two safeties, whatever it may be, to still get one of those players. Cause I'm sure they're going to want to still have an opportunity at a blue chip player at a position of need. And the teams that you can look at, I mean, you have Atlanta at eight. So you're talking about trading up a couple spots with the Giants already sitting there at seven. Atlanta and Carolina. Now, let's say Detroit doesn't go with Malik Willis, which you know, there's rumors that that's going to happen. It could just be smoke screens. It could be bull crap, you know, whatever. Atlanta could view Malik Willis as their guy and Carolina could. And Atlanta, the Giants may hold a lot of leverage to allow Atlanta to jump towards five to take 
say a Malik Willis or a Kenny Pickett or whatever the heck they're interested in. And then the Giants are sitting there at seven and eight. Like that's a pretty good situation. Now, the the unfortunate part of that situation is if Carolina say they only want one of those guys, and if Atlanta takes that guy, then Carolina's more than likely going to go with the offensive tackle that would be available because they need offensive tackles desperately. So the Giants in doing that, although they could collect maybe two day two picks, possibly leverage a first uh, first round pick next year, who knows? They may sacrifice the fact that they could have possibly had Evan Neal or Iki Aquano. For sure. And I think if they do make that sacrifice, they're probably going to view this a lot differently than, than, you know, it was just outlined in the sense that they're not going to see it as a two tackle class. If they make that kind of move, they'll probably see it as a three or four tackle class in their eyes or a three or four edge class if it's going the opposite way there. But I think what you brought up is really interesting and important about this trade back. Two things that were working in the Giants favor the trade back. One, if they do trade back, it's with a quarterback needy team. And that's essentially just a free space for the Giants because that that will mean a quarterback is selected before them. It's almost like a it's, it's knocking off one pick before the Giants pick. So the Giants weren't going to take any of these quarterbacks anyway, assuming that's the case, right? Assuming they're not in the market for the quarterback. We have to put that aside. But it's a free space for the Giants otherwise. And the other thing is, as far as you mentioned, the leverage goes like, oh, maybe the Giants will get a couple day two picks. Maybe they'll get a one. I don't know. I mean, they hold so much leverage. Think about the time when the Bears were just dead set on getting Mitchell Trubisky. The Bears sat at three overall. The Niners at two overall. They were so dead set on the quarterback and what they believed was the one guy they had to get in that class. Now, obviously, looking back, it's a pretty sad evaluation by Ryan Pace <laughs> because he viewed it as he, he if he doesn't get Trubisky, he screwed up at quarterback. Meanwhile, obviously, Deshaun Watson, 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 Watson. But look, if the Falcons or whoever it may be views it as Malik Willis is the only quarterback worth trading up for worth investing in we want to get a quarterback in this class we believe he's the guy and that could easily be the case like you watch will you you evaluate willis and you project willis versus the rest of this class at least in my mind he's the only quarterback i'm interested in in the, in the top five to be really honest i can see a path for kenny pickett but it's not the path that i want to go down i don't like the the daniel jones kenny pickett that type of path where you might be able to get if you're lucky like a ryan Tannehill. because even when you get to the ryan Tannehill hill no pun intended you get stuck with this offseason that the Titans are in, where he's making like 35 mil against the cap and it's going to rise to like in the 40s. And you're cutting all these guys and you can't sign anyone. And really, where did you go in the first place? You won your division. You got the one seed, but you were knocked out against the Bengals in the playoffs. Like, where are you going with that route? You need to go for the ceiling route at quarterback in my mind. And so if they view it as that, they, the leverage is, is all there based on the class. It's a, the Giants have the leverage because there's no, they, this one doesn't have a Mahomes and Watson after, at least not that we think, at least not that I see on the film right now. Maybe, maybe Carson Strong or Des, Desmond Ritter, but I doubt it. So they may view it as, look, we have to get Malik Willis. We're willing to give up more than the trade value chart says, just like the Bears were when they traded up for Jabisky. Yeah, and then you also have Seattle at 9, and then Houston's now at 13 with the Cleveland trade for Deshaun Watson. I don't know if Houston's interested in a quarterback, but who knows what Nick Casario is thinking of. I think both of those could be options as well as Atlanta. Carolina only really, they don't really have any draft picks, to be honest. I think their next pick after their the sixth pick is in the fourth round, so they hold like no leverage. So a lot of teams could, you know, view it and be like, hey, look, man, I'm just going to jump to number five and then, you know, sign me up 
for that. It's uh, it's something that I'm I go back and forth on because I'm like, dude, if Evan Neal's there, you gotta take him. But you know, if if, if it's enough, dude, if it's enough in this deep draft, I want as many day two, day three picks as we can get our hands on to help replenish this roster. And it, again, it just goes and we could talk forever about this, Dan. And that's one of the most fascinating things about this draft: holding two top ten picks, where quarterback is now slowly kind of creeping up into the conversation for a lot of teams who may be desperate. Yeah, and that's the best part, the capitalizing on this quarterback desperation. And then at the flip side, like, if you are able to make the trade back if you're the Giants, and I agree, I'm. it's not that I'm, like, skeptical of it. It's that I do have some reservations because Evan Neal's a sick player who I want on the Giants roster at right tackle tomorrow. Uh, Iquanu is a player I also want on the Giants roster at right tackle. Kayvon Thibodeau is probably my guy, my, my, might be my only guy in this class, I think, with the exception of Hutchinson, who I just, you know— it, if you talk to the guys in the draft community right now and you listen to everything about the draft from like the insiders that are typically right on this, it's like the best kept secret that Hutchinson is the number one overall pick right now. And that's just what it's going to be. That's, you know, <laughs> he's not going to make it, but Thibodeau might, I doubt it, but he might. And he's probably my one guy at five where I'm like, ah, shit, there's a good trade offer. Excuse my language <laughs> on the table. Oh, this is a tough one for me. Do I want to pass up on Thibodeau? And I don't know if I do. I, you know, we'll talk about this in the Thibodeau draft profile because I'm curious to get your take on him versus prospects in the past that have come up, like Chase Young. But I really, really, really do like the projection and the traits based projection. And not only just the projection, a lot of the film, just plays you see on film when you watch, start to watch a lot of Thibodeau to the point where I just feel like this guy is going to be an all pro pretty damn soon. I, We'll talk about it on the pod, but I, I actually haven't had this feeling for an edge rusher in a long time since Von Miller, I believe, because he has two traits that I think are just so key in winning as an edge rusher that are just so translatable to against the next level of competition. And that's why it's going to be unbelievable. I can't wait for the draft. All right. That's all we have for today. We're going to get back into draft profiles soon. We're going to get back into news soon. But thank you again for tuning into the Big Blue Bander podcast. As always, if you can, we really appreciate it. You can head over to our iTunes page. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, make it five stars, give us some kind of compliment. No, just kidding. You can ask a question, say what you want in there. And if you follow on Spotify, if you're not an Apple guy or girl, then go ahead and leave us a rating there. I believe you can still follow there. I don't know if you can leave it. So thanks to everybody. Have a great rest of your week. And we will talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.